I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For the one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm going to let you in on a ministry secret, which is that preachers love preaching the parables of Jesus because they seem easier than the rest of Scripture. The parables are often set out with a very clear audience and a clear moral to the story, like Aesop's fables. We know what they mean. We don't need to explain them that much, unlike the mind-bending riddles that are in the rest of the Bible. And today's parable of the Pharisee and tax collector is not only one that people have heard before, it's one that we think is pretty clear what it means. Be humble, don't be proud. End of sermon. Let's have Holy Communion. But if this is all that's going on in this story, if Jesus' parable really is an Aesop's fable telling us how to behave or how to think or feel, I think we're actually missing something. We're missing some of the richness and the depth that God is inviting us into because scripture, even parables, are not a self-help book or a to-do list. Scripture exists for one reason alone, which is to reveal to us the living God. And it's only by coming to know him that we can come to see ourselves in the story. And as we read this passage, I think what we'll find is that while that interpretation isn't totally wrong, this is a passage about humility. Jesus is very clear on that. It's our understanding of what it means to be humble that needs to be challenged. And I think what we'll find is that Humility is not an internal experience, but a recognition of our need for an external deliverance. Humility is not an internal experience, it's a recognition of our need for an external deliverance. So if you will take out your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18. It's a short passage. We will begin with verses 9 through 12. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Because we are pretty sure we already know this story and what it means, we're pretty sure who is the, the admirable character and who is the villain. We in America, in the American church, love to hate on Pharisees. It's one of our favorite things. But this would not have been how Jesus' audience heard this story. They did not assume that Pharisees were Pharisaical rule followers. 
The Pharisees do care a lot about rules, but it's because they care a lot about God's law. They live in a time when Rome has occupied the chosen land, and they worry that people are becoming complicit with this foreign power, that they have forgotten who they are, they've forgotten what they stand for, they are not worshiping God rightly and wholly. And so the Pharisees are zealous for God's law because they are trying to practice what they preach. They want all of Israel to be a holy nation worthy of the love and the attention of the holy God. And so Jesus' audience would bring all of these assumptions about Pharisees as the righteous ones, the revivalists who live out what they believe, when he says two men go up to the temple to pray. And then on the other hand, we have the tax collector. Tax collectors are agents of the Roman Empire. They are hired by the governor, by Roman soldiers, in order to collect taxes from the local population. And as if that were bad enough, they're also well known for collecting uh, more than is assigned, a cut for the emperor and a cut for me, lining their own pockets, often by extorting the poor. They are greedy, they are selfish, they are not followers of God's law. And so in to understand why this story packs such a punch, we have to bring that context to it. And when we do the Pharisee's prayer, which sounds ridiculous to us, thank God that I am not like other people, starts to make a little more sense. It is better to give your money to the poor than to extort them. Jesus is not criticizing the Pharisee's behavior. The Pharisee is zealous for God's law. He has a deep prayer life and a generous habit of giving. So what's going on here? If the problem isn't with the things that the Pharisee is doing, it may be with the posture he brings to prayer. Notice that in a three-sentence prayer, he uses the pronoun I four times. The Pharisee is zealous for God's law, but interestingly, God is not mentioned at all in his prayer, except in the very beginning. The Pharisee's prayer is all about what he's doing, but not in relation to God, but in relation to other people. How do you know how, that I am so good and so righteous? Because I'm not like them. He makes his faith about himself rather than about the God who he says he worships. And this is a temptation that we should not think is exclusive to Pharisees because Christians love to do this. We love to define our faith not by our relationship to God, but by our relationship to other people. Protestants pray, not often out loud, thank God I'm not like those Roman Catholics who believe in salvation through works. Good thing I know the truth about salvation through grace alone. Anglicans pray, thank God I am not like those Baptists with their goofy non-liturgical worship and their draconian rules against drinking or having fun. 
And evangelicals pray, thank God that I am not like Episcopalians with their biblical illiteracy and their inability to pray without a prayer book. All of my prayers are spontaneous, so you know God hears them more. All of us have a temptation to make it sound like maybe the thing God has saved us from is not the powers of sin and death, but from being the wrong kind of Christian. And then at least we all get together and thank God that we're not atheists. At least we're all believers. We're all saved. Thank God that I am not like other people. But the problem with putting ourselves in the center of our faith, of making it something that has to do with us and other people rather than something that comes from God down to us, is that when we go up to the temple to pray, when we come to worship, when we open our Bibles, when we set out to do devotion, we're pretty sure we already know our place in the story. And so Scripture and prayer and worship become something that does not challenge us or convict us or transform us, but that affirms everything we already believe. We pray to God, thank God I'm not like other people, hoping that he'll say, yes, that's right. You're doing everything right already. Well done. And this is the attitude that Jesus criticizes in the Pharisee, not the behaviors he does to live out his faith, but the habit of putting himself in the center of his faith. And so we contrast this with the tax collector. Take a look at verse 13. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So this is where we're pretty sure it's clear cut. We've looked at how not to be like the Pharisee, so how should we be like the tax collector? If the Pharisee has puffed himself up with all the ways that he is good, clearly the tax collector is engaged in that ancient practice of tearing yourself down, of making yourself feel bad, of really wallowing in your own sinfulness. The tax collector, we assume, is humble because he feels humility. He feels really bad about himself the same way the Pharisee feels really good about himself. And sadly, this is even something that we hear in church sometimes. If you want to be saved, the first thing to do is to spend a lot of time thinking about how terrible you are. I am a sinner. I am garbage. I am not worthy of God or worthy of his love. But if this is what humility is, what's the problem? We've just said I exactly as many times as the Pharisee. This sort of attitude that humility is about thinking about how bad you are puts us back in the center of our faith story. And once again, we're only looking at ourselves and not up to the God who called us, who loves us. 
C.S. Lewis pointed out that oftentimes when we come to God for forgiveness, when we ask him to forgive our sins, what we're really doing is trying to feel forgiven. Because the good news about thinking about how sinful you are is you then get the complimentary relief when you confess your sins and you feel forgiven. The worse you feel about yourself, the better you can feel after confession. That faith is something that only works or only counts if we have an internal experience. I only really believe if I feel how bad I am, and I'm only really forgiven if I feel like God has set me free. But is this what the tax collector's doing? This prayer of utter simplicity doesn't mention how he feels at all. He doesn't talk about feeling guilty. He doesn't list everything off that he's done wrong. He doesn't promise to start doing things differently as soon as he walks out the door. He doesn't describe his emotional state at all. He describes himself as who he is in light of who God is. Unlike the Pharisee's prayer, the tax collector's prayer keeps God at the center. God is the actor. It is not a description of his own behavior or his own emotional state, but a cry for help. A child asking for deliverance. Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Grace, the power of God in our lives, is not an internal experience. It's not something that we feel. It's an external deliverance from one who is more powerful than us. And this means that everyone, regardless of what we do or how we view ourselves or however good or bad we feel about ourselves, Pharisee and tax collector alike are still dependent on God's grace. We are stuck in a cycle. The human story is to be stuck in a cycle of trying to puff yourself up and tear yourself down and compare yourself to others in the desperate hope that we can finally feel like God loves us. But what if God could deliver us from the cycle completely? In verse 14, Jesus tells us, the tax collector went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humble, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The New Revised Standard Version puts this in the plural, but the Greek says the one who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I'm not sure this is an accident, because in the entire history of the world, the entire history of the human race, there's only ever been one person who has lived up to Jesus' challenge. Those who humble themselves will be exalted, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' humility was not about how he feels. It was about what he was willing to undergo for our behalf. His willingness to come to earth, 
to free us from the cycle of self-loathing and self-aggrandizement, and who in exchange we killed on a cross. And in that moment, that moment of shame, of utter humility, of brokenness, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We are humbled, not because of how we feel, but because in light of God's love, we, like the tax collector, see ourselves as we are for the first time. The stories we tell about ourselves are caught up and swept away in the story God is telling about us. That while fallen and broken, we are loved enough to die for. We are humbled because love is humbling. And so I think it's worth asking ourselves, when we come up to the temple to pray, when we come to church, when we sit down for our devotion, when we open our Bibles, when we talk to God, what is it we're hoping to find? What words are we hoping to hear? Did we come to be validated and affirmed, told that we're already doing everything right, no other change needed? Did we come to build up a list of grievances, a list of sins that we've committed so that by convincing ourselves that we're really bad, we can hope to feel like we're really good? Are we looking for ourselves in the middle of God's story? Or are we looking for Him? Are we looking for the King on the cross who, though humbled to the point of death, is exalted and reigning in glory? And it's only by the light of that glory that we can be honest about ourselves, that we can recognize that grace is not an internal experience, but an external deliverance from the God who loves us, who poured himself out for us, and who will, in the end, lead us home justified. Amen.